Hi, I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Hi, John. Hello, John. How are you doing today? I am doing all right. It's a beautiful sunny day. And uh, that's not a lie. It is actually a beautiful sunny day here in North Carolina. Uh, are you getting any tree relief? No. Nope. No. This is how it works in, in Texas in spring. It's hell until it gets hot and then it's a different hell. It's just that's that's how it is. The, the pollen goes away because it's because it's literally incinerated in the atmosphere by the the torturous heat i love that for you yeah it's fine breathing is overrated that's what i've been told so what are we talking about today john today we are talking about the 2012 musical bring it on the musical with music by tom kitt and lin-manuel miranda lyrics by amanda green and lin-manuel miranda and a book by Jeff Witte. And no, just kidding. Just Jeff, just Jeff Witte. Based on the movie Bring It On, screenplay by Jessica Bendiger. Bring It On opened on August 1st, 2012 at the St. James Theater and closed on December 30th of 2012, playing for 171 performances. The show was directed and choreographed by Andy Blankenbuehler and music directed by Dave Pepin. The original Broadway cast included Taylor Louderman as Campbell, Adrian Warren as Danielle, L. McLemore as Eva, Jason Gote as Randall, Ryan Redmond as Bridget, Gregory Haney as La Cienega, Ariana DeBose as Nautica, Kate Rockwell as Skyler, and Janet Crouppen as Kyler. The show was nominated for two Tony Awards. And they didn't win any. Sure, leave out my pun. Okay, fine. Do you want? Do you do you want no. me to say? I'll, here, I'll no. give you a clean take of the pun. I'll give you a clean take that you decide in the edit. The show was nominated for two Tony Awards, which were not brought to them since they didn't win any. Blackmail your mother who sits on the school board to get Campbell transferred and writ from the life that she knew. And your dreams come true. Your dreams come true. And your dreams come true. Your dreams come true. And your dreams come true. Your dreams come true. And your dreams come true. Meet Campbell Davis, captain in waiting for the Truman High School cheer squad. Her first duty is to replace the graduating members. Her friend Skylar looks to be a lock. Other members of the squad include Kyler and Steven, who just happens to be Campbell's boyfriend. Outsider Bridget doesn't make the cut, but Campbell takes a risk on Eva, a sophomore at the school. As the rest of the squad heads off to celebrate, Campbell reflects on the difficulties to come and dreams of one perfect moment. After the end of the school year, the squad attends cheer camp and Eva's nervousness threatens the squad's chance to win the coveted spirit stick, which many believe foretells a Nationals win. 
To boost Eva's confidence, Campbell takes her aside and names her the sophomore spirit leader, which means if Campbell were to lose her position, Eva would be third in the line of succession after Skylar and Kyler. This seems to do the trick and the squad win the coveted stick. Two weeks before the end of summer, Campbell receives a letter with terrible news. She's been redistricted to inner city Jackson High. Despite her attempts to stay at Truman, Campbell's fate is sealed. Her dream is gone. Even Stephen cannot console his girlfriend. Campbell sadly heads to her new school. Campbell arrives and discovers that Bridget has been redistricted as well. Intimidated and amazed, the pair is wowed by a performance by Jackson's resident dance crew. Campbell and Bridget meet the queen bees of Jackson High, Nautica, La Cienega, and the head of the crew, Danielle. Bridget is an unexpected hit at Jackson, especially with the hormonal twig who is smitten with her. Campbell offers up her cheering talents to the crew, but a verbal slip-up turns the Jackson team against her. Danielle firmly explains that they are dancers and not cheerleaders. The trio walks away after inviting Bridget to their team. Skylar, Kyler, Eva, and Steven all call Campbell. Eva talks about how Campbell's old uniform fits perfectly and how she thinks Truman can win nationals under Skylar's leadership. Later, Bridget comforts a very depressed Campbell and takes her to the Burger Pagoda where Danielle works. Campbell tries to make amends, but Danielle is unmoved and is still furious with Campbell. As Campbell starts to leave, she runs into and confronts a pair of entitled rich girls harassing Danielle. Impressed and amused by Campbell's fire, Danielle reconsiders and offers Campbell a one-time chance to dance with the crew dressed in an old leprechaun mascot suit. After a shaky start, Campbell kills it as the leprechaun and catches the eye of Randall, the smooth school DJ. An impressed Danielle gives Campbell an official spot on the Jackson crew. Back at Truman, Skylar and Kyler share shocking news. Skylar's low grades means she can't be captain, and Kyler has contracted mono. By the rules of succession, Eva is now captain. Campbell grows suspicious, and a visit to Eva's house seems to confirm her suspicions. Campbell discovers Stephen studying at Eva's house. And Eva has undergone a startling transformation to look just like Campbell. Campbell breaks up with Stephen and rushes over to Skylar and Kyler, who accuse her of paranoia. Bridget and Campbell learn that Eva's mother is on the school board, and she's the one that decided on the redistricting. Outraged and certain of a conspiracy, Campbell decides to get back at Eva by assembling a squad at Jackson and crushing her at Nationals. The next day, Campbell approaches Danielle about creating a cheerleading squad at Jackson. When Campbell lies and says that a Nationals win includes college scholarships for each winning member and a chance to be on live television, Danielle agrees to help assemble a squad. Using some convincing, they assemble a squad of girls and boys to all be on the squad, including Twig and Cameron. Campbell's new team has their first practice. Danielle tells Campbell they have a routine planned, which involves many moves the judges would deduct points for. Weeks later at the regional competition, 
the Truman Squad watches Jackson perform. While Eva, Steven, and Kyler are wowed, Skyler is smugly convinced that Truman will win. Though Jackson wins enough points for a national slot, they take second to Truman. Back at school, Twig asks Bridget on a date, but Bridget turns him down because of her own insecurities. Nautica and La Cienega argue that it's no big deal and that Bridget needs to see her own positives. Her self-esteem boosted, Bridget chases after Twig. Randall asks Campbell on a picnic date on the cliffs above their town. She happily accepts, but moments later runs into a furious Jackson squad. Danielle has discovered that Campbell lied about the college scholarships as a Nationals prize and breaks up the team. Upset and disgusted with herself, Campbell shows up for the date with Randall. After some pointed and playful ribbing, he encourages her to enjoy her high school years and stop worrying so much about her past mistakes. Meanwhile, Skyler, Kyler, and Eva discuss the breakup of the Jackson cheerleading team, and Eva privately celebrates being made captain and the diabolical means she used to make it happen revealing to the audience that she had orchestrated the entire change of leadership, blackmailing her mother into transferring Campbell, hacking into the school system to give Skylar a failing grade, and intentionally infecting Kyler with mono, confirming that Campbell was right about her suspicions. At Jackson, Campbell pulls Danielle aside and offers a tortured apology. Danielle is still hurt by the lie, but admits that she found it fun. Campbell tells Danielle that their friendship should have always been the most important thing, and she doesn't even want to go to nationals anymore. Danielle confesses that she misses Campbell and her friendship as well, and decides that nationals are back on. At nationals, Truman performs their routine exceptionally. As the squad runs off the mat, Eva sees Campbell and realizes that Jackson is next to perform. Shocked at Campbell's presence, Eva tries and fails to undermine her confidence. Eva gets more and more frantic and reveals her villainous behavior, justifying her actions by claiming that they got Truman first place, which in her mind is more important than sportsmanship. Jackson offers an exuberant, mind-blowing routine that breaks many of the rules of cheerleading, but inspires wild applause from the arena. Jackson is sure they won, before being told by Bridget that they had broken many rules and gone outside of bounds multiple times. As the results are read, Campbell wonders if this is finally her moment. It is not. Truman High School takes first place in the trophy, fulfilling the prophecy of the spirit stick. After Eva collects the trophy, celebrating in her own insane way, Randall surprises Campbell, offering her his Pinewood Derby trophy from Cub Scouts, which he has repurposed with a Sharpie to credit her with first place for everything that matters. With Eva gone, the Truman and Jackson squad celebrate their true victory, friendship. I feel like that's how a lot of the shows we've talked about recently have kind of ended. Um, Heathers was like, oh, we need to just be friends. And Mean Girls was, oh, we just need to be friends. And Newsies was, stick it to the man and be friends. To be clear, (laughs) this is the third show about high school-aged girls that we have talked about this season. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, we maybe not the best people to talk about this topic. I'm 17. There are so many things that I can't control. If I start to freak or feel weak, I focus on just one goal. Turn down the panic, attack this routine like it owns my soul. Turn up the music so loud that it swallows us all. And then there we are, we burn like a star. This show exists. Yeah. Why, so that's going to wrap it up for... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't dislike this show. I don't particularly like this show, but again, I'm not necessarily the intended audience. I do remember watching the movie many times, enjoying the movie for what it was. And I was kind of surprised that that didn't necessarily translate to this show. Musically, it's fine. I don't think it is. Tom Kitt nor Lin-Manuel Miranda's best work, which is fine. Um, it is also, I think, the first Broadway credit that Lin-Manuel Miranda has. So, has he done anything else? I think it's just the three shows. I mean, gonna... to be fair, two of those were pretty fucking great. No, they, they were. They were. Actually, it's not his first musical. Oh, it was his second musical. In the Heights okay. was his first musical. He did In the Heights and then Bring It On? Yeah. In the Heights came out in 2008. Then he did some of the Spanish translations for, for the West, West Side, Side Story, Story mm -hmm. revival in 2009. And then he did Bring It On the Musical with, with Tom Kitt and Amanda Green. Um, And so... You know, everybody needs to make a living. We all got bills and to pay. And that's and that's fine. There's nothing about this show that ne necessarily screams Lin-Manuel to me, which is funny in a way because both in the Heights and Hamilton, like there's this concept in classical music that's drummed into pretty much everybody during their undergrad that every composer sounds unique, which is total bullshit, but that's a different therapy session. And so they, they justify this by the concept of drop the needle tests, which is even if you don't know this piece, you should be able to figure out who it is by their sound. Here, I would argue maybe that's an axiom that holds a little bit true for Lin-Manuel Miranda, because if you listen to In the Heights, if you listen to Hamilton, they sound like his output. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are definitely musical lines you can draw. It's almost like ideas developing that you can hear in In the Heights that come back in Hamilton somehow more evolved and, and almost feeling sort of fully formed. We don't have that, however, in Bring It On. And again, that's not meant to be a knock on him, especially because he is writing with who would have been the very established Tom Kidd at this point, who was well-established as a Broadway um, orchestrator, a Broadway composer. Like Tom Kitt had, people knew who Tom Kitt was at this point. And so I do find this collaboration 
fascinating in that way. But the result is it doesn't sound like Tom Kidd. It doesn't sound like Lynn manuel It just, it exists. And as much as I was joking a minute ago about, well, this is a show that exists. It is because, and this sounds weird, and, and, and I've been kind of digging into this in relation to other shows we've talked about. This show wasn't actually necessarily meant to be a Broadway musical. Because, I mean, if you look at it purely outside of context, it opens in August, closes in December of 2012, and it only played 171 performances. Normally, you look at that and go, wow, this show must have sucked and no one saw it and they just had to pull it off of Broadway. In this case, that's not what happened. This show was never actually intended to be a long-running Broadway show. In fact, the national tour for this show happened before it was on Broadway. So they did their normal out-of-town tryouts and workshops and all of that. Then the show actually went on tour for a year, ended up on Broadway in August of 2012 with a close date of December 30th. They knew going in, they were going to open in August, close at the end of December, and then they were going to release this to the universe for licensing. That's actually not that weird of a thing as we're finding out. And it's funny because, of course, I found this out after the fact um, in doing research for this show, the, 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 the juggernaut that was Newsies that we talked about was actually meant to be the same thing. They had worked on the show. They had done workshops. It had been in limbo for a while. They redid it. It went on tour. It went to Broadway. And it was supposed to be on Broadway for like two months. And then they couldn't print enough tickets. And so they extended it a month. And they couldn't print enough tickets. And so they extended it another month. And eventually they're like, well, screw it. We're just going to let it run. And it ran for a thousand performances. And, and that was great. This like Newsies, this show wasn't necessarily intended to be there. It was, let's get it on Broadway, let's get it some recognition so that we can then release it for regional and amateur rights and, and a million people will do it there and that's great. That, that happens. I'm curious, did the second part of the dream come true? Is this a popular show at, at like regional and like high school levels? Um. To be fair, I don't I don't see it often around the Texas area. But pulling up real quick, it looks like, I mean, it's being done in Pennsylvania. It's being done in Arizona. It's being done in Belfast. Cool. Florida. So yeah, looking at the upcoming, and, and I one of the things I do love about the MTI website is that it does have an option for and you have to opt out of it if you're an amateur theater um if you don't opt out they will basically give you free advertising in the sense that they will list you as an upcoming production mm. on their web page and looking at this there are a lot okay. of productions so yes so mission accomplished matter of fact it even looks like there is one happening in dubai just to kind of give you the reach ah. uh, at the end of this month, actually next week at the Dubai performing arts, British school. Okay. 
So, so yeah, so yes, this show is rather popular. There are some things this show does well. Much like the choreography in Newsies, one of the things that was highly lauded about this show from the very beginning was the choreography, was the cheerleading routine specifically. One of the biggest knocks on the show was that it felt like every so often things just stopped because they needed to do another cheerleading routine. So, you know, you got, you got to balance the good with the bad. Musically, again, as, as much as I've harped on Tom Kitt and Lin-Manuel, it's fine. It is a product of this 2010 to 2015 sound. It is a rhythm show. It does have much more electronic style music. It's, it's meant to be this hip hop adjacent. It's meant to be this dance music adjacent score. And it does that very well. But it's not particularly memorable. There are no songs after, and I've been listening to this cast album for a long while. Like this has been on my radar for years now, but it's not, it's not one of those shows where I can instantly go, oh, this song and start singing a melody from that. It doesn't, it doesn't have that staying power that other shows do. Other things it does do well, it does feature a transgendered character. La Cienega is supposed to be a transgendered woman. And if you look on the casting info for this show, that is literally the first line in the character description. A transgendered woman, her gender is simply not an issue, accepted by her friends, barely referred to. BFFs with Nautica and Danielle has a wicked tongue, but a generous spirit, which I will appre- I, I appreciate. It, it was put in there not a stunt casting. It was not put in there to make a point. It was put in there because that's what worked for the story. It's not a big deal. It wasn't, it, it, it was not done for laughs. It was not done for jokes. It was just inclusion at the most simple stage because that's what you do when you tell stories that need to be inclusive. You actually include people. But at the end of the day, this show, I, I, you know, again, it, it exists. It exists. It's fine. I don't know that I particularly think it's brilliant, but I also don't think it sucks. And and these are the weirdest shows for us to record because I'm like, yeah, it's it's all it, it's fine. It it you know. I'm sure there's somewhere out someone out there who is very very passionate about bringing on and for whom this show strikes all the right chords. You know, like we said at the beginning of our discussion, this is not an experience you or I lived through. No, and and that's fine. I mean, it is what it is. Every show has its audience. This one as well. I am, I am not. You are probably not part of that audience. But it doesn't mean it does not exert, deserve to be produced. It does not, you know, it deserve to exist. It does. It has merit. It has value. And those people who who recognize that are out there making art with it. Is there anything else that we should know about this show? I mean, that's kind of it. If you're a cheerleading aficionado, it's a great show. If you like music that's not particularly offensive, but is good and solid and stable, it's a good show to listen to. It's a good show to know exists. Well, if you want to learn more about its existence, you can find recordings of it pretty much anywhere one does that. 
we killed it and we know it Don't need that gold to show it when we know it inside Hey girl, we got the people screaming Just like we were dreaming, I know I'm satisfied Hey girl, look how far we've come now Before you couldn't stand me, now you think I'm alright Right, right, hey girl, I thought you were a spoiled rich Uptight little white bitch, now I think you're just white And in 20 years, it's not a big old trophy Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time.